is estimated that over 6 billion Bibles are in circulation throughout the world today. By far the best-selling book of all time. But why should we read it? We live in a culture where very few are familiar with this book. It can be intimidating and hard to understand. Many feel it's an archaic book that doesn't relate to modern day life. Could it be possible that God desires to transform us through his written word? Join us as we discover together all the Bible has to offer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. Let the land produce vegetation. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky. Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. Let the land produce living creatures. Let us make mankind in our image. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. just watched in about three minutes and 40 seconds 
is the story, the theme of the Bible. It starts with the very first book in Genesis 1.1. It's the story of the creation. God created the universe, everything in it. The pinnacle of his creation was he created man and woman in his image. Something terribly wrong happened. You go from creation to the fall of man where Adam and Eve choose to go their own way um, with their free will choice. They disobey God. Evil is still a part of our world because of that. Yet God, even in the Garden of Eden, foreshadowed something in the Garden of Eden that he would do, that he was going to do, called redemption through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to evil. He's the answer to the fall of man. It's Jesus, the most powerful name, the most powerful word word in the universe. And the Bible reveals God's plan to restore and redeem us back to his original intent for us. So you've got from God's original creation intent for us to our rebellion, to his redemption and forgiveness through Jesus, to our future glorious eternity. And then the Bible unveils within it the mystery of our purpose. I don't know if you've ever wondered, why am I here? Why do, hu- why do humans exist? What is the point of all of this? The Bible reveals that. Everything written before Jesus was pointing to Jesus. Everything after Jesus was pointing back to Jesus as the answer. The center of it all is Jesus. And maybe you grew up going to church and you didn't really understand the Bible, or you were kind of told, hey, do not read the Bible. You need to have a priest interpret it. It's never really made sense. Maybe you didn't grow up in in church, and this book is just something that shows up in your hotel rooms, and you just kind of see it there. And Grandma had a big one, and it sat on her her little, uh, little thing there forever, and she never really touched it either. But there is an actual story to the Bible on every page, 66 books that all have a thread running throughout it from beginning to end, creation, fall, redemption, and then the end of days, consummation is what it's called. And so we're going to talk about that throughout this series. So today we're starting in week one with kind of what is this book? Um, what's it for? And why should I read it? And I want to talk about why you should read it because a lot of people are intimidated by the Bible. They don't know where to start. They don't know re- where it really, what it really Really means. It sounds confusing. It's pretty controversial. Um, this book will pretty much create strong opinions anywhere it's like talked about or brought up, doesn't it? It brings a lot of strong opinions. Maybe you heard this story. There was a young woman um, who was riding across the country on a plane, and she got on the plane, and, and um, no one was sitting next to her, and she had a kind of a long plane ride, and so she was really excited about that. Do you ever feel that way on a plane? No one's sitting next to you, and you're like, yes, please. Everybody that walks on, you're like, please don't sit by me. Please don't sit by me. So that's her, right? And so sure enough, last second, a guy gets on the plane and beelines it and sits right next to her. And she's just like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. And so they're getting ready and they're starting to take off. And she notices that this guy is like checking her out a little bit. And like he can see she's kind of watching her hands, see if she's married. And she's like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be interested in me. So she has an answer to that. She goes, I know what I'll do. She reaches in her backpack, grabs her Bible, puts the tray down and puts it right on the tray, thinking I've got the answer. This guy will not talk to me now. Well, undeterred, right? This guy looks at her and says, you read that? And she's like, yes, I do. And he's like, you believe what's in there? And she's like, yes, I do. And he's like, are you serious? You read that? You read that like regularly? And she's like, I read it almost every day. And you believe the stuff in that book? And she says, I believe every word of it. And he goes, you believe that there was Moses and you believe that God created all. You believe there was a Noah. And he's like, you believe that Jonah thing where Jonah was in a fish for three days? And she says, yep, I believe every word of it. In fact, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah what that was like. And so he thought he would be cute and everything. And he looks at her and he says, well, what if he's not there? And she doesn't miss a beat. She says, well, then you ask him. 
<laughs> okay, that's a joke. Okay, it wasn't really a story. Uh, it was more of a joke. Uh, but but here's, here's what I want. At the end of this series, I want you to know what's in here. At the end of this series, I want you to know how to read it. At the end of this series, I want you to know that it doesn't really contradict itself. At the end of this series, I want you to have answers, and I want you to know how to find answers in this book. And so over the next three weeks, we are basically going to try, I'm going to attempt to cover a year-long seminary course in four weeks, okay? So this is a open-mouth, insert-fire-hose series, okay? I want you to take notes. I want you to really listen in. It's okay to take notes on your phone. I'll let you this one series. I'm just kidding. Take notes if you want. But today, we're going to talk about the purpose um, uh, of this book and its purpose in our lives, uh, what it is. Next week, we're going to talk about the Old Testament. We're going to do like 39 books in 39 minutes. That's kind of what we're going to try and cover, really 35 minutes. We're going to try and cover 39 books. The next week is the New Testament. We're going to cover 27 books in 39 minutes, right? 35 minutes. And then um, the last one is the kind of the most important one. How do I interpret this book? How do I understand what it means? How do I, um, how do I uh, use this book to guide my life? We're going to learn a word called hermeneutics, and uh, we're going to actually dive into that in four weeks. And you're going to walk out of here going, theology major. That's what you're going to walk out of here thinking about yourself. Um, but I, I can't encourage you enough to just make this series important to you. Um, make this series a priority in your schedule. Um, it's worth it. What we're going to be talking about is worth it. What you're going to be learning is worth it. And I want to see you here every week. In fact, I want to just not see you here every week. I want you to bring some neighbors. I want you to hand that card out and, and fill up these seats because what we're talking about is life-changing during this series, really every Sunday, but this series in particular. So uh, let me pray for us before we jump into the rest of the day. Um, God, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for silly videos like we started out the day with that we can just have a little bit of fun and, um, <clears throat> and uh, just laugh together. Um, God, I thank you that your word is alive. It's active. It teaches us. It speaks to us. And God, I just invite you right now to speak to each one of us individually um, with the exact truth and words that you want to speak to us because you know us, you love us, and you desire, you long to communicate with us on a daily basis. So please do that this morning. In your name, amen. All right. So um, what's interesting, when you look at our culture, uh, when it comes to the Bible and, and just religion and Christianity, fewer Americans um, today are identifying as Christians um, than they were 10 years ago, um, while more people are identifying as religiously unaffiliated. Um, this group has a nickname, those that are religiously unaffiliated. They are called the nuns because they checked the box when it asked what religion are you, they checked none of the above. So they're like the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And I think the plan words is hilarious because they're like religiously unaffiliated. Um, but they've been called the nuns um, on religious affiliation surveys when asked of their view of scripture, when asked about this book. 72% of nuns, of which there are about 20% of Americans now, especially millennials, a high percentage of millennials and Gen Z um, check themselves off as nuns. 72% um, of the nuns said that it this book is not the word of God. This was in a barn a survey that came out um, just, a, just recently within the last couple of years. And Barna writes this, with each passing year, the percentage of Americans who believe that the Bible is just another book written by men increases, so too does the perception, now listen to this, so too does the perception that the Bible is actually harmful and that people who live by its principles are religious extremists. If you are a Christian and you believe that this book is the word of God and you live according to what this book says, that is what people think about people who believe this is the word of God. It's what they believe about me and probably you if you believe this is the word of God. So I want to speak into that. 
And I want to help us discover just how set apart, how different this book is from any other book on the planet. And I want to remind some of you who are Christians here, I want to remind you just how special this book is. And I want to remind you that if you pick it up and there's a dust spot around it, you're not in it enough. I want to remind you that this book is different. It's set apart. It's life changing. If you're a skeptic here, if you're one of those skeptics, I want you to know what this book is all about. I want you to understand why this book is different and that to believe it and believe it is the word of God does not make you a religious extremist. It actually makes you somebody that wants to become different than you are right now, better than you are right now, um, fuller than you are right now. So I want to give you three truths about the Bible that speak into why it's so different, why we hold it so dear, why you should read it. And um, I want to encourage you this. Don't believe what our American culture says about it. I want to encourage you to get in it and see what you believe for yourself. If you're a skeptic, get in it and see what you believe. Don't just listen to what other people tell you. Don't just listen to what I tell you. You can get this readily. You can get this on your phone for free, an app called the Version. You can just read it, and you can come up with your own ideas and own thoughts about it. But let me give you these three truths. Let me jump into the first one. Um, the Bible is reliable, and it brings truth to your life. And I'll just tell you, when we started this church, we had a very specific belief about this book. In fact, if you go to our website and you click on the Who We Are button, scroll down, there's a What We Believe section, and this is what we believe about this book. I'll put it up on the slide. The Bible, both Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted to communicate to us. That's what we believe about this book. And because of that, we decided long ago that every weekend service, every student ministry get-together, every K-Kids thing, every small group, every CR ministry, Celebrate Recovery ministry, every time we get together under the auspices of Kensington, that this book would be taught. That this book would be taught because we believe this is the actual word of God. It is our true north. It is our north star. It's where we find the guiding principles, not only of this church, but for each one of us individually in our lives. Now, where does that belief come from? Well, it comes in part from this book itself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in, and what's that word? Righteousness. It's not useful for beating people over the head. It's not useful for forcing people to do what you want them to do. It's not useful for making everybody feel guilty and telling them that they're less than. It's actually useful for training, rebuking, correcting, and, and, and teaching about righteousness, the right way to live, a different way to live. And those words, God breathed, are a good flare, clarification that the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, saying the words of this book originated with God himself. They were written down by human authors by a supernatural action. And these words are from the very mouth of God. It's like he breathed into them and they wrote what he told them to. And I will just tell you, if God is capable of creating this universe, creating you with all the intricacies of who you are, and he's, create, he's capable of creating a genetic code that has so many billions of combinations that it's infinite the amount of combinations that the human um, genome can have in its DNA strand, and he's able to create a universe that we haven't even found the edges of yet, and we keep learning new things about it, if he's capable of doing all of that, I think that that kind of God is probably capable of writing a book. 
I think he can figure that out. And I think he can write it through his creation. Peter explained the process this way. This is how he explained it. Second Peter 1, he was like, Jesus' lead disciple, spent three, three years with Jesus in ministry. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It means that God spoke to them and they wrote down what he said. It means that God breathed on them and they wrote down what he said. And you might be thinking, Kevin, you really believe that? You really believe that that's where this book came from? And I would just say, absolutely, I do. In fact, I'm staking my eternity on this book. I'm staking my eternity on the words in this book because I believe they are the words of God. And I believe that this book is proven over time that it is different and it is set apart. Because I'll just tell you, the guys that wrote this book, they, they didn't know that they were writing the Bible at the time. It's like a lot of us, many of us, we don't have a hard time believing that God used Mary and that Jesus was born from Mary, yet he was fully God and, and fully human and fully, fully God at the same time. It's kind of the same thing. God can do this. God can write a book to us, a love letter. I've always heard it described. This is God's love letter to you. It tells you who you are and how desperate was God was to know you and love you and save you. And it's a love letter. Every page is a love letter written to us. I love that idea. But I want to talk about its accuracy, okay? I want to take a minute and just go, okay, skeptics will say this book that we read now today, 2019, is nowhere near what the original was written. Like they're, they're just two different... Down through the years, they've been interpreted and then, and then interpreted, interpreted. And now this is a watered-down version of what was originally written. There's no way that we can actually see this as reliable or accurate. Well, I just want to speak into that. For those of you that are skeptics and are a little nerdy, um, uh, this, I want to tell you how you can tell that this book is different and more accurate. If you do your homework, you will find that this book is more accurate than any other work of antiquity that we have in existence. There's several methods to test reliability reliability in ancient literature. One is called the bibliographical test. I just want to share with you that one because it's just the Bible's here, everything else is here. Um, the bibliographical test, it's two things. The number of copies of the document that we have, actual physical documents that we can touch, copies, and how closely dated that copy is to the original copy when it was original written, originally written. And let me just be honest with you. We don't have original copies of any work of, of ancient literature. Plato, Aristotle, Caesar, the Bible, we don't have original copies. We, have, we, we don't have the originals. We have copies of it. So the Bible's no different in that regard. But where it begins to stand out head and shoulders above when you test reliability is when you compare it to other works of antiquity. So I got, a, I got kind of a, 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 a picture that I want to show you that kind of lays this out. And I want to compare some things. So we can go ahead and put that picture of a manuscript right there. Manuscript Evidence for Ancient Writings. Now, you'll see there, you'll see the author, when it was written, the earliest copy that we have, and the time span between when it was written and the first copy that we have, and then how many of those actual manuscripts we have. And I want to compare just a couple. Um, you have Caesar's Gaelic Wars, written in 100 to 44 BC. Um, the earliest copy we have is AD 1100. There is a time span of a thousand years between when it was originally written and when we have 
the first copy that, we, that is known in the world. Um, and we have 10 copies of that. And scholars will say, hey, that's pretty good. That's actually pretty reliable. We're pretty darn sure that that's exactly what was written, that we have a copy of the original, and there's no question there. You go to Homer's Iliad. We'll go all the way to the bottom. Um, written in 900 B.C. Um, the earliest copy we have is from 400 B.C. The time span is 500 years. That's like a newsflash in antiquity, right? Um, and we have 643 copies. It's now been updated to we have found 1,800 copies of Homer's Iliad. How many of you guys read that in uh, high school? Yep, that, there's a lot, quite a few of you, if you're my age, you read that in high school. Um, scholars say this is a slam dunk. It is absolutely reliable. Um, we have an, almost an exact copy of the original because all, what is it, 1,800 copies are the same. So we know really, really, I mean, 99.9% is the original. How does the Bible compare? This is where, guys, I'm just telling you, you should be leaning in going, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, let me just show you where the Bible compares. Go ahead and put the next slide up. New Testament, just the New Testament, written AD 40 to 100. Earliest copy we have is AD 125. The time span between when the original was written and the first copy we have is 8 to 30 years. 8 to 30 years. And we have, how many copies is that? 24,000. In fact, that's been updated to near 30,000. And if you add fragments, it's almost around 42,000. What does that tell us? It tells us that the Bible is unparalleled in comparison to any other work of antiquity. Scholars say there's not even a category that any other book is in. The Bible is in its own category. And already you're starting to see this book is just different. It's almost like it has divine origins, now, how do we make sure that um, the stories in the Bible are what really happened? How do we know that it's not legend and just kind of passed down? Um, well, it's another test that sets the Bible apart. It was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. This is massive. This is huge. Since the earlier, earliest copies of the New Testament were being circulated you know, within 25 years after Jesus' life, that means people were still alive that saw Jesus and heard him teach. If there were lies or errors in the manuscript, people would have refuted it and say, no, that's wrong. That's not what happened. If the, the scrolls were being read aloud in the, in the Christian church and someone, you know, in, in, let's say this account was false, they would say, hey, they, he didn't change water into wine at Cana. That didn't happen. They would say it because they were there and they knew it. it it's like this. It's like if I said, wasn't it awesome in February 2018 when my awesome Detroit Lions won the Super Bowl over the New England Patriot Clowns, right? Like... That's what it would be like. What would you guys say to that? You would do what? Laugh at me, because that's not true. You would laugh. The only true part of that is the New England Patriot clowns. That's true. But the rest of it, totally untrue. Um, yes. Hey, sit down. <laughs> sit down. We will fight after. Okay. But you wouldn't let me get away with that. Why? Because you were alive last year. You maybe even watched the game. You know what I'm saying isn't true. Same thing. If it were untrue, those, those copies were written during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of others. Another test. And it's just head and shoulders. Head and shoulders above any other work of antiquity. Uh, another test, the historicity of the Bible. Last series, what did we share? We shared that, hey, the Bible, the Christianity is different from every other religion because it's not based on a belief system. It's not based on a, a theory. It's not based on any religion. It's actually based in something that happened in history. Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, um, that is what Christianity is based on. It's an actual event that happened. So the Bible, what you find when you get into it, this is one of the most historically 
robust books we have in the world. And that's why there's so much detail in here. If you read this book, there are moments where you get bogged down because it's like, and this day we went to this town and in this town, this was the leader and this was the town that was next to it. And this is what Mary had for lunch. And this is what my grandma ate. And this is who my cousin is. It's like, there's so much detail in it with names and places. Why? Because Christianity is based on history. So this book should be a historical book. What's fascinating about this book is the more archaeologists dig, the more they keep finding themselves going to the Bible to find out what they're digging up because there's nothing more accurate than the historicity of this book. And I don't have enough time to talk about the validity of that or to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which proved to be within 95% um, uh, like the, the same uh, as the Hebrew, in the, of the Hebrew Bible that we have. Um, I don't have time to tell you about the Talmudists and how they copied the Bible, but I'll give you one more piece of evidence really quickly um, that just sets this thing apart. There's nothing like it on the planet. Um, this book was written over a 1,600-year time span. Um, it has 44 different authors from every walk of life. You've got kings and peasants and scholars and poets. In different places, Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, um, different moods. Some people wrote it from the heights of joy, others from the depths of despair on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, um, in, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Um, the subject matter, hundreds of controversial topics, yet the Bibles, the people that wrote this book all spoke with harmony and tell this story from beginning to end that all matches up and all of their interaction with this same God, one unfolds story, God's salvation of man. Now, let me just ask you, how do you get that many authors from that many walks of life on three different continents over 1,600 years um, in three different languages that don't have any connection with each other, don't have access to each other's work? How do you get all of them to write about the same God and experiences with a God that this common thread runs throughout it, all talking about Jesus before him and afterward talking about Jesus? How do you make that happen with man? Humanly, that's impossible. But supernaturally, it's possible. There is something divine about this book. It is reliable and it will bring truth to your life. Now, second truth, the Bible is alive and brings power to your life. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our innermost desires. Now, it's alive. What does that mean? That means it's not a dead book for thousands of years ago for people to read and know what's going on then. It's actually alive up to today. It's current. It's still living. It's powerful. Each generation that reads it, it makes sense to life. It speaks. This book speaks about your issues in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, with your friends, in your school, wherever you're at walking at in life. This book speaks into it because it's a live book. It's an alive book. Let me give you an example. Um, every Thursday as a staff, we schedule an hour time to study God's Word together. And this is how we do it. I want you to write these three questions down. If you want to know how do I study God's Word, write these questions down. Um, as a staff, we read a half of a chapter of the Bible every week. Um, we're in Ephesians right now. We just did Ephesians 3, the second half. And we, we read the Bible on our own. We ask God to talk to us, and we write down answers to these three questions. The first one is, what stands out to you in this chapter? And we say, hey, write it down. I want you to write down in your, in your journal what is, what's the answer to that question. The second question that we ask is, what is God saying to you through this half chapter? What's God saying to you specifically through this half chapter? And what, the third question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? 
And when we meet each week, we all take turns and we share our answers to those three questions. And here's what's amazing. Do you know that almost every week God says something different to each one of us, something specific to each one of us, something that, that for some of us he's challenging us, for some of us he's encouraging us, for some of us he's convicting us. And as we share, you just start realizing that God's word is alive for every single person sitting around the table. And he says different things to each one of us through his word because it is alive and brings power to your life. That's why people regularly in this room think that I'm talking directly to you. I've had people say, look, it's Kevin, it's like there's nobody else in the room. You're just talking to me. And when people say that to me, I just say, thank you for saying that, but it's not me. And how I know it's not me is because I don't know what you need. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what truth you need to know. You need to know. I don't know what encouragement you need. I don't know what conviction you need in your life, but I know who does, and that's God. Because God's word is alive, he uses it to speak to each one of us individually and bring that power into our life that we can actually hear him. And so don't give me credit for what the power of God does here on a Sunday morning. I would love to take the credit, you know, and go, well, I know, aren't I great? <laughs> Pat myself on the back. Um, but it's like, it's not mine to take. I love that God does that. And I will just tell you, God wants to speak to you every day. And one of the most intimate ways he can speak to you, one of the most specific ways he can communicate to you every day of your life is, is one of the most intimate ways he can speak into your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, your heart, your soul, your finances, your decision-making, your motivations, your hopes and dreams, your future, your family life, your sense of well-being, your depression, your sorrows, your heartaches, your triumphs, the trajectory of your life, um, the worries of your life, the next steps of your spiritual life, your purpose, the mission that he has for you, the, how he wants you to change, the most intimate way he can say and speak into that part, every part of your life, is through his word. God wants to use his living word, which is Jesus, combined with his written word, which is the Bible, to bring change to us. And if you take it a step further and you just don't read it, but you commit it to memory, if you commit this book to memory, you'll be shocked at how the Holy Spirit of God will bring it up at just the right time. I'll give you a real quick example. Um, one of the verses I memorized many years ago was a verse in Proverbs 15, and it's really simple. It's a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. anger. I read that in Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I can't tell you how many times I have wanted to be angry and argue with my teenagers just because they're teenagers and I'm their dad. Um, it's just kind of natural, kind of happens. And as we're talking, and they know exactly what buttons to push, you know, that's what they do. And we do it back, right, as adults, but we don't let them know that that's what we're doing, but they do that to us. Um, I've felt anger start to rise up, and I've felt myself, and I'm not perfect on this, trust me, but I've been ready to just unload and unleash and just, you know, put them in their place and tell them what they're doing and just give them this, this, this big diatribe lecture, because I'm, I'm an expert lecturer, by the way. Um, uh, just, just give them all this stuff that's inside of me, this anger, this, this, this frustration. And it's like God will, in that moment, the Holy Spirit will just, in the front wheel shield of my heart, he'll just pop up this verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I'm just like, Ugh. I don't want to be gentle right now but I don't want to fight. I don't want to be gentle right now, but I don't want to condemn. I don't want to beat them down. I don't want to hurt them. And it's like, okay, God, fine. And I can't tell you how many arguments and how much anger has just been by God's word, the power of God's word of him just bringing it up right at the right time where he's given me the strength to just be gentle in that moment. Again, not all the time. Don't ask my kids about this, please. <laughs> There's just something divine about this book something different about this book. Before I give you the last truth, um, I want to receive our offering.
And so, um, ushers, if you guys can come on down. Um, the Bible says um, to empty out your entire wallet right now. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just a total joke, okay? Um, I just want, if you're here for the first time, um, we don't ask you to do that until the third time you're here. Just kidding again. Um, just let the basket go by. We're grateful that you're here. This service is our gift to you. If you're visiting, um, no pressure in this moment. I don't want you to feel compelled to do anything. Just, just be here and listen. Um, if you call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And this really is a holy moment as well. Um, but let me, let me give you the last truth. Um, number one, God's word is reliable. It brings truth to our life. Number two, God's word is alive and it brings power to our life. And one last truth, God's word is active and it brings transformation to your life. God's word is active and it brings transformation to your life. And I want to share with you in the, something that I learned in the last two weeks that I have read in the Bible tons of times. I've never seen it before until I was watching this video from this guy named Paul David Tripp, and he teaches this passage of Scripture that I'm like, I've never heard that. I've never seen that. And look, I've been reading the Bible since I was in my young teens, and I've been studying it and teaching it for over 20-something years. Never seen this. That's the beauty of God's word. There's this passage in the Old Testament. Isaiah is speaking about the transformative power of God's word. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, look, This is what my word is. Just like water comes down and snow comes down, it causes things to grow. My word, if you will let it into your heart, it will water your soul and cause growth. It will accomplish God's purposes. But nobody ever explains what those purposes are. Nobody ever reads the next passage. Well, let me read the next passage. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And some of you are doing what I did in church when I heard this. You went, hey, you lost me when you went all musical, right? When you went sound of music, I'm out um, with hills singing and trees clapping. Done. Okay, so and you probably never heard the next passage of Scripture, which I never have until here. I've heard it, not seen it. 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Strange illustration when you look at what is really there. Let me show you a picture of a thorn bush. Let me just show you that. Now, you don't want to go anywhere near a thorn bush like that, right? You don't. Why? Because it's dangerous. It's scary. It's hurtful. And what this is saying is that when water comes, which is God's word, it will take that thorn bush and turn it into this picture on the right side of the thorn bush. That's what scripture says. It says it'll take the thorn bush and turn it into the cypress tree. And then he says he'll take the briar and turn it into a myrtle tree. Now, Here's what's really fascinating. If you water a briar bush in your backyard, what do you expect to happen? What happens? You get a bigger briar bush, right? That's what you get. That's what happens when you water something. But what Isaiah is saying is the primary purpose of God's word is the transformation of our hearts and minds and ultimately our lives from one thing into a completely different thing. It's not making this better. It's changing it into something different. It's going from hopeless to hopeful, from powerless to powerful, from joyless to to joyful. God's word doesn't make us better people. 
It actually can make us fundamentally different. It has transformative power. And this means something so miraculous. It's like when God waters your soul with his word, you go from an old, dead creature to something new and alive. That's what scripture tells us. You go from dead to lifeless. And God is saying, if you read my word, it will change you, fundamentally change you. It'll take the briars and the thorns in your life, in your heart, who you are, and it will transform you into something that's alive and green and blowing in the wind with life. And I'm just telling you, there's some of you in here, uh, people, they come to church and they're just like, man, I, I, they, hear the word, they hear the word of God only when the preacher's preaching, when someone's talking about it, and they wonder, why is my life not changing? Why am I not any different? I'm going to church. I'm doing all the stuff. And I would just say this. It's because you're not letting the word of God water your soul. You're not letting the word of God in on a regular basis. You're just getting, you're coming to church and you're getting like a little on yourself. Just that's not going to change you. It's when a river of God's word runs through your soul. It fundamentally changes you. And I'm telling you, there's some of you right now that are going, man, I... I'm a thorn bush, and I, when people get close to me, I just hurt them. When people are around me, I just I struggle. When people are around me, they get bloodied up, and I get bloodied up. Why? Because you're just a thorn bush right now, and you haven't allowed the Word of God to change you and transform you in Jesus Christ, the living Word and the written Word of God, to transform you into something different. And I'll just tell you this. We want to help you with that. I'm going to get really practical with you. If you go on our website... Um, and you want to memorize scripture, um, Bill Malott put together 24 passages of scripture, one, two for each month for you to memorize and get scripture deep in your heart so that when you have those moments where you want to be a thorn, God's word can just give you truth and allow you to not be that. You go on our website, we've got a read through the Bible in a year plan. Um, there's a link to YouVersion. It's a Bible app that'll get you in the Bible every day. If you want to read every day, read Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. I'm just telling you, there's so many ways to get in God's word on a regular basis. If you don't have a Bible that you can actually read, and I'm telling you, I like to read a physical Bible that I can touch. We'll give you one out there at starting point. You stop by there, we'll give you a Bible that's very, very readable. And so I just want to say, are you in God's word regularly? Are you letting his word wash you and cleanse you and bring life to the dead parts of your life? Because it is transformative. And so I want to I talk for just a minute, a minute to those of you who are not followers of Jesus. Because I know there's some in here. Statistics tell us you're here. The reason God gave us his word is to point to Jesus, point us to Jesus, so, and to be transformed by his word. And how he transforms us with his word is when we believe in Jesus. And so one of the keys to unlocking the power in this book is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I know for some of you, maybe you've been coming for a little while, and today's your day. You're like, okay, I, I believe this stuff. I'm ready to accept Jesus into my life. Or maybe you're here for the first day, and first, first time, and maybe it's the first time in your life you're hearing that this book has power, and Jesus might be making sense where he came to die for your sins so that whoever believes in him, accepts him for who he says he is, will not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe today you're ready to surrender your life to God. And I know every week there's people that are right on the edge. And so I want to take time right now, um, stop the service, and I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus, if that's you. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me, um, everybody in the room. And I just want to invite you, if today is your day to be transformed by God and you want to accept Jesus, um, I want you to pray with me and just make my words your words. You don't have to say them out loud. It's just from your heart to God. But you can say something like this, God, today is my day to be transformed by you. I believe in Jesus. 
that he came to earth and died for my sins and was raised to life three days later. And through him, I can be forgiven. So I invite Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. As much as I understand it, help me to grow and change. Transform me not into a better version of myself, but a different version of myself, a God-powered version. So today, I surrender my life to you, God. In your holy name, amen.